Welcome to the Human Design Collective Podcast, where we explore the system as a map of our unique potential, from the mundane to the mystical. If you'd like to dive deeper into your design, we invite you to check out our ongoing foundation courses and workshop offerings at courses.humandesigncollective.com. So here we are. We're coming on our third year of doing this podcast. We just started a new season, season three, and we haven't done a spotlight in I don't know how long. It's been a while. Spotlight episodes are not interviews. It's Amy and I talking about something we're interested in or a certain topic that we want to focus on. And so we wanted to use this time today just to check in with all of you and to tell you about some stuff that we're excited about that we've been looking at and working on just to kind of do something of like a a state of the union, as it were. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to acknowledge that we got to work with two friends, Meg Ruby and Anders Parker, to create a new theme song, a new original theme song for the podcast as well. That was fun. It was fun to see you in action in your... uh, in your old profession, your former life. As a uh, amateur music producer. Yes. <laughs> John produced the whole thing and kind of had a vision for the sound. And I think it came out really cool and really interesting. And they did an amazing job. They really and did. Anders is an old friend of mine. Uh, we go way back. Great guitar player, songwriter, musician. Meg's a newer friend and a wonderfully gifted, talented piano player, composer, and she really provided the backbone for the whole thing. It was all really Meg's piece that we started with, and then it kind of grew and evolved into what you just heard. (laughs) And if you get to the end of the podcast, you'll hear the longer version of it. Our children will never want to hear it again, but we still enjoy it. (laughs) We we played with that for a while. We've had two really fun guests on in season three. We started with Richard Beaumont, which was a really fun, wonderful conversation. He's got some very deep intuition, deep awareness, been into human design for quite a while. And then we followed that with a talk with Darman Swan Herbert, a reflector who's been deep in the experiment for years, decades. And wow, that was profound. Yeah. Yeah, I've been loving some of these conversations we get to have with people who've been working with their own experience and design for a long time. And I think the thing that strikes me most about them is that they're very human, just very real, very much themselves. They have the human design language, but they just really are very human. Yeah. So what about this human thing? It just relaxes me when people who have real substance in their field, whatever it is, are also very grounded and very human. And I like that. (laughs) (laughs) I like when people feel like real people (laughs) and they're not presenting themselves as something greater or better or higher or more special than any of the rest of us. I mean... It's refreshing. (laughs) There's so much pressure to promote ourselves. I just think it's a relief to sit with somebody who's really human and yet also deep and rich and who's earned their expertise, you know, and who's learned a lot from their own life experiences. It relaxes me. It makes me feel like everything's going to be okay. (laughs) So I enjoy it. 
Yeah, I do too. And next, we've recorded a podcast with Gary Kristen, who is a little bit different than the guests we've had on before, because Gary comes in with a long, long background in astrology. He's actually the co-founder and president of one of the biggest astrological software companies, Astrolabe. And he's been into astrology since the 60s. Yeah. And it was a crazy... Ride and look into the history of astrology going all the way back to the earliest origins, taking us through time up to the present day through the advent of computing and astrology, having access to the software, getting into more precise calculations. And one of the things that Gary brought up, which I thought was so interesting, was he made this point that the astrology of the time reflects the culture of the time how at different points in history there was an individual changes the trajectory, changes the way we think about it, it changes the way we look at it, that it's the individual that brings in the mutation. It's usually not a big collective process. It's not something that we're going to debate and we're going to establish scientifically, but someone gets some sort of download, someone gets an insight, and from that point on, things are different. And human design really seems to fit that. For sure. He was so fascinating to talk to as well because he doesn't really know anything about design, human design, but he went through some of the materials we shared with him and he recognized right away, oh, this is one of those systems. This is one of those times. This is one of those astrological developments that shows up through an individual that brings this sort of leap. And there's something really pure and clean about that. And there's something certainly very mutative about it. So I found it fascinating to get to talk to him, even though he doesn't really know anything about human design, but just to get to look at the historical context of astrological systems and techniques. And some of the listeners may be thinking, wait, human design is not astrology. There's astrology and there's human design. And yet it is based on the date, time and place of our birth. We generate a birth chart. We're looking at the relationships between our individual lives and the cosmic influences, Yeah, I think it's been interesting to talk with some people who are a bit removed from the human design system itself so that we can see some of these elements of truth or certain aspects of the truth that are resonating across these different fields, whether it's looking at psychology or global issues or other astrological systems. I find it interesting to see elements of the truth repeated. Mm -hmm. You can see where, from a point of view of the global cycles that are talked about in human design in 2027 and a lot of the changes that we're seeing in society right now through the cross of planning going away, the cross of the sleeping phoenix coming in. And astrologers are having that same conversation. They're looking at it through a different lens. They don't have the body graph. They don't have the design imprint. There are some some significant differences there. But if you step back and look at what they're saying, you're going to see some parallels. You're going to see there's another view of this same movement that we're in that can show us something a little bit different or highlight certain aspects of it. And that's a fascinating study in itself. I found it really fascinating to come across a Vedic astrologer or a card reader and have them describe something to me. And when there's truth in it, I can name the exact activation in my human design chart that is basically saying the same thing. And I just always enjoy that so much. Mm -hmm. I just find that so fun. You can get to some of these same truths in different ways. I certainly see that human design is the most efficient, seems to me Mm -hmm. to be the most essentialist and efficient. 
that's my system of choice. But I love getting to see that, oh, you can get to this five different ways and the truth is still the truth. Yeah, and reality is multidimensional. Depending on what lens you pick up, what frame of reference you're using, you're going to see something different, but you're still looking at the same fundamental underlying reality, the reality of our experience of being human on this planet at this time, and still looking at this relationship we have with these forces outside of ourselves. Yes, we intend to continue bringing in experts in the human design realm, and who knows, maybe we'll continue to bring in a few people here and there in some other fields to help give us a sense of context for the knowledge. Amy and I have also been going down our own personal rabbit hole, I guess, where we started watching a lot of these cult documentaries that are coming out. They seem to be really plentiful lately. Yeah, there's more than a few online on the streaming services, Netflix. And so we started studying that and looking at it through the lens of design, looking for patterns, trying to kind of have a frame of reference there of what is this movement? What are people looking for? How do these things come together? How do these type of situations set up? Is there a benefit to them? Are there problems with this? And hopefully looking at it with some degree of objectivity and neutrality to see it for what it is. And human design can tell us a lot about that as well. If you can get access to the charts of the individuals, the chart of the leader, the guru, or the cult of personality that's behind it, it tells a lot. It, there's a certain transparency in it, which I find fascinating and very telling. And there's so many different things you can look at. We've been getting our hands on the charts of some of these different leaders when we can to get a look at what, what's the profile? What's the circuitry? What are the themes going on in this individual that might contribute to them being in this position? And then also getting to see some of the themes that seem to be instilled in the different groups. So you can look at that aspect of it. You can look at what is it in our human nature that inclines us to be controlled or influenced by groups in these ways. Certainly rave sociology has a lot to say about mm -hmm. that. But then the other thing I find really fascinating is you can look at it from the point of view of who made the documentary. And it makes me think about the 6447, for example, as a channel that shows us that you can take a bunch of different little pieces of events that happened and you can cut them up and connect them and string them together in all different kinds of ways to create all different kinds of storylines. And I think that's really fascinating too. Mm. Some of these groups have had multiple documentaries made by different people. You can't assume that a documentary is a neutral representation of what happened. It's, it's certainly not. Someone has to intentionally put together every little sequence, every little clip, every little bit of voice and video and has to string it together in a very particular way. And that's always going to be designed to tell a certain kind of story. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating, right? Yeah, it is. So I know you're a fan of cults, John, and being told what to do. Oh, am I? <laughs> <laughs> what do these dynamics bring up for you? Well, the, the 2551 loves being told what to do. Mm. If you look at it from that point of view, and the 2551 as an individual channel in the ego and its relationship to the tribe, it's a frequency that doesn't always work in that situation. And yet you'll see that there are certain leaders, certain gurus, or people who are 2551s in these positions, which is kind of interesting. What it really brings up for me is this question of individual sovereignty. And I think that gets to the heart of it in a way. 
What human design is offering us when we speak to something like inner authority is that we each know and have a point of reference within ourselves, either through our process, through our intuition, our instinct, through our response, through whatever our authority is. We have a way of checking in with ourselves and owning what is correct for us and operating from that place. That is one of the key things that comes up for me watching all of these shows and these documentaries is when that is overridden or the person is told your response here or your your sense of what's going on here is not correct that you're either limiting yourself or that self-sabotaging behavior or you're you know, undermining your group goal right and you actually need this that you don't know what's good for you that's a line that gets crossed i think if people want to go into whatever experience have whatever experience they want that's fine There's room for that, and that's life. But being told that someone else's perception of reality overrides your reality, and this is something we got into quite deep in our conversation with Darman in the last podcast, it really comes back to owning our perception and our experience and getting to know that, getting to know ourselves through how we're interfacing with life. The other thing that comes up is this question of transparency, or as you've said in the past, informed consent. Can you speak to that, say more about that? Yeah, it's difficult to consent to things that aren't revealed to us. So transparency ideally puts everything on the table so that we know what we're agreeing to. But you can see in some of these dynamics, there are all kinds of bargains that get made without a whole lot of information about where the trade is going. I think it's easy to look at some of these situations from the outside and think, how could these people get themselves in this situation? Or how do people fall for this? And I think it shows that it's it's something that happens progressively and over time. And it can be very confusing. It feels very abstract process to me in mm-hmm. a way. It's like it includes the highest highs and the lowest lows of the human experience often. And a lot of times these groups are driven by extreme experiences, extreme emotions, extreme energies. So they go up and they go down and it can make it really confusing. I imagine some people come out of these experiences saying some of those things were the best things that ever happened to me. Some of the most loving or fascinating or fulfilling experiences I've ever had. And some of them were the most tragic, most awful, most damaging. I don't know. On some level, maybe it's a kind of hyper-concentrated microcosm of what happens to us as human beings under the forces of conditioning when when we aren't clear about ourselves or when we're still learning about how to have personal sovereignty. The way I hold human design, the way I look at it and my relationship with it is that it's something of an antidote for those type of situations, or at least it gives us something in ourselves that we can work with. It's showing what we can rely on in our own experience. We have this solid signpost, this point of reference in ourselves. If we're in alignment with that and we're honoring that and living from that place, when those type of situations come up, we can check in with ourselves. The issue seems to be when we outsource or offload our inner sense of what is correct for us to something on the outside, some sort of outer authority, which is the opposite of what human design is pointing us towards. It's giving us a picture, a map, an explanation for this is what you are. This is how your energy is designed to work. This is what you can trust. These other things are not necessarily trustworthy. This is where you can be influenced. This is where the conditioning gets in. Mm. 
And wow, what a gift. And yet, for as much as the map can offer us, in the end, we've got to go through that process of connecting it with our own perception, with our own awareness, with our own experience to find out how it's relevant to our sovereignty. And there's no substitute for that. There's no way to take enough classes or get enough readings to make up for a lack of substantive personal experience. That's just what it takes, I think, to have a trustworthy sense of inner authority. It takes time. It's a process. We have to discover this for ourselves. You get a foundation reading, they say, your authority is this. Trust your spleen. Trust your sacral response. If we don't know what that is in our own experience, if we don't understand what our spleen is saying or what's coming out of that point of awareness in our experience, we can only point someone in that direction as an analyst, but they're still going to have to find out for themselves. Let's say you're a third line as well. You're going to have to go out there and see what doesn't work. You're going to have to go and adapt. You're going to have to go through a process again and figure out what holds up and learn through that process. And I, I feel like that applies to really to all of us on a certain level, that we all have to come to our own relationship with ourselves. And human design is giving us a really amazing map and point of reference for what that looks like for the individual. And then eventually we learn to live that pretty naturally. So speaking of time, age, and experience, what's the other topic we've been chewing on these days? We've been getting these questions coming in, both in our classes and our individual sessions, about the midlife. The midlife being this period that we all enter into roughly from the age of 40 to 50. This is something that Amy and I have personally been working through in our lives, being the age we are, where we're coming through in the middle and coming out the other end of that process. And we've been looking at all the patterns. We've been looking at the thematics that are associated with that time of life. There's the Uranus opposition, which roughly happens at 42 for all of us. Could be 41, could be 43, could even be 44, depending on the individual. But at this point, we're basically entering into the second half of life. We're stepping into full adulthood. This is something that we all go through in some way. It's a big process. It seems to me like it's another almost developmental stage of coming of age. It's a point in life when most of us have found a certain amount of stability in certain areas of life, whether that's financial or material or psychological, or in terms of our status or the roles that we play, or in terms of how much we know ourselves, in terms of our health. There are all these different aspects of life. And usually by the time we get to this midlife point, We've got some things that we've sort of figured out, and then we probably have some other things that have sort of never quite worked out, or maybe we even haven't had the courage to really address. And I think this midlife time is almost like a second puberty or something. Mm -hmm. It's like another life stage to go through that often requires some inner transformation, some reflection, some reevaluation. Seems like it's rougher for some people than others. Oftentimes you'll see when when somebody becomes a mother for the first time, then they get really interested in talking to other mothers and they want to mm-hmm. they want to look at what it's like to raise children and what it means to become a parent and I feel like we're a, a little bit like that in relation to the midlife like we're in the midst of this thing we've had several years of really looking at it deeply and now we're interested in sharing some of that information and talking about it with other people because I think there's something that is a value in normalizing the process, which Mm -hmm. society does to a certain extent, but 
these tools that we can see in human design provide so much relief in the midst of going through it to help understand some of the thematics that are underpinning this time. It can give us a view into the larger context of the life, this story arc that we're all in from birth until death. And, you know, something like the Uranus opposition, which is one of the main events in terms of the cycle and transits that hit at that time, can show us that what's happening now is part of that process. What's so interesting to me is that these themes, the dates, the time, the thematics, the events, they're coming up unexpectedly or suddenly at this time, or maybe we felt we've been feeling into them and feeling like something's coming. Some, I'm getting ready to enter into something different, or there's more out there. And yet all of that was set at the moment of our birth. Yeah. The implications of that are fascinating to me. If you look at that from something of a no choice point of view, where I go with it is I look back on those previous 40 years. I'm like, wait a minute. You mean all the decisions that I thought I was making and the choices, I'm going to go do this or I'm going to go do that, all took me to the same place. And when it's happening, it's happening. And it's described in the cycle chart or it's described in the themes that are coming up and the, the shift in the nodes or whatever is happening at that time. That kind of leaves me in an interesting place. It tends to lead me to a place of surrender and acceptance. It helps my mind kind of relax to, to kind of look at things from a larger perspective or standpoint. Not that I'm going to necessarily do anything about it. This is my life. Yes. This is what is happening. And maybe the mind can relax a little bit. It's protesting less. It's not kicking and screaming quite as much. We can relax into, breathe into, or embrace these changes. And we may find that instead of it being a midlife crisis, as it's often described, it's a time where we can course correct and we can come back into ourselves. We can kind of step into full adulthood and own what we are or be more of what we are. And often that does require some changes. There are certain situations that maybe we've been in, uh, jobs, relationships, situations that aren't working for us. And it gets to the point when that Uranian energy comes in and we kind of get blasted with it, that it becomes comes more difficult to continue with it, continue compromising ourselves in some way that deep down inside, we know this is not what it's about. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point that when we see some of these thematics through the major life cycle charts in midlife, it can help us, like you're saying, to relax, which helps us to accept the situation, you know, accept what's happening on some level. And I think when we do that, it actually frees us up to come into awareness and deal with what's in front of us, with what life is showing us. If on some other level we think, well, this shouldn't be happening, or I got to stay in control, or I can't let these things change, or everything has to change, we can really start to go into these kind of more extreme reactive mm -hmm. states and sort of lose the forest for the trees and lose our capacity to be present and to be aware. And, and I think that's what happens when something is happening and we're in a mindset that it shouldn't be happening. So in the same way, I don't know why I keep relating it to puberty, but I can think about what it would be like if your body was changing in that way and you had the thought that that wasn't supposed to be happening. That would probably be something that would be very difficult to manage and adapt to hmm. if you're resisting it the whole time. So I think studying these 
midlife cycles can help us to embrace some of the new frequencies and themes that are coming in, what they might be showing us, how some of those might be more easy or more challenging to embrace. As we've been talking about it, we've been starting to pick these pieces apart to say we could look at just the nodal gate shift and find that there's so much richness in that. Or we could look at just the profile that comes in through the incarnation cross of the Uranus opposition and how that interacts with our native profile. And that can be a really rich and deep exploration. We've been picking this apart for a while and wanting to bring that to other people and kind of universalize it in a way, see if we can get to some core thematics together. Yeah, it's fascinating. And so we'll be offering a workshop in January of 2023 on the midlife. We'll put something on the site soon. And if it's something that resonates with you or you're interested in, check it out. Uh, We'd love to see you there. All roads kind of lead to Rome in all these different topics we've been looking at. It seems like there's a an underlying directive that has something to do with taking responsibility for ourselves, whether it's in terms of our sovereignty in relation to different groups or the promises of different groups, whether it's in relation to how we handle some of these major life transitions or shifts and events. And I think it also relates even to how we go about studying something like human design. As we started out with, we were talking about connecting human design with some of these outsiders in a way to get a reflection of the context that we're in. There's also something going on now where human design is becoming broad enough, I think, and popular enough that like astrology, it's not just one thing anymore. Hmm. You can't say to someone, oh, I met this person and they're a human design teacher you don't necessarily know what flavor of human design or what's their style like or um, what kind of keynoting do they use or what versions of the map do they adhere to. Human design's becoming broad enough now that like astrology, you don't know exactly what people might be referring to when they say human design. Yeah, especially with something like astrology where it's wide open. I've often referred to astrology as the Wild West. You say... I'm into astrology. Okay, which type of astrology? There are hundreds of different ways of approaching and working with astrology. Or I don't like astrology. You don't? How interesting. (laughs) You don't like the moon? Uh, right. uh, you don't astrology, like living on a planet? Astrology doesn't Surrounded work. By other planets? Okay, let's unpack that a bit. You know, <laughs> Let's explore this. But, but I get your point. You know, human design is at this stage, it seems like, where it issued from this one individual through this experience of the voice. And it was something very new, very mutative coming in the world. And after a couple of decades, now we're starting to see that there are different flavors. It's, there's a kind of a diversification. And regardless of where you stand in that whole question, I think we can all admit that there are different takes on what this system is doing, what it's telling us, and how to work with it. Maybe it's part of how things naturally evolve. Maybe it's also part of the differentiation process. Uh, you know, in all these realms, I think so much of this is just about 2027. And it's about the fact that We don't have a whole lot of stable identifications anymore that we can hold on to in the same way that people used to. It's requiring of all of us that we take a lot more individual responsibility for ourselves. 
to be able to evaluate, well, human design, maybe what kind of human design with who, who do I resonate with astrology, maybe which technique, which school of thought, or I'm a spiritual person. I want to connect with my spirituality. Well, how do you want to do that? Is that, is that through religion? Is that through a cult? Is that through your own meditative practice? We have access to so many things There's so much differentiation happening, and maybe a lot of it's pointing to what Ross suggested about this time as well, which is that we'd find ourselves more and more attracted to resonance and likeness, and we're seeing that too. Mm -hmm. People are starting to gather, even in human design alone, how many groups there are you know, on Facebook, on social media for every little tiny aspect of design, you know? that people are gathering around those things that they have resonance with. And you see it in all realms of life. People who are part of a white Tesla owner (laughs) group or whatever their interest is. I think we're seeing the personal responsibility that's needed and also the resonance that's increasing in terms of what we're attracted to. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing is that there's this movement towards similarity. There's a resonance towards a frequency that you like to take in or that you feel connected with or that you can hear from. That's this idea of the fractal in human design, how the transmission can come through, who can hear you and what you can take in. I feel like that's another really helpful point of reference for us moving forward is to trust that in ourselves, to trust that through our inner authority, to trust it through our own inner sense of being self-possessed in a way of this is what's coming up in me. This is my response. This is my hit on that. I've come to a point of clarity and this is what works for me. There are a lot of options out there. There are a lot of people promoting human design services there are different classes there's different schools and you know beyond the kind of the recommendation to follow strategy and authority which is always there i think it comes down to who do you resonate with and this is something that we've really tried to do on this podcast is to offer up different viewpoints different perspectives different energies different people from different backgrounds so that the listeners can come to it on their own, can have an idea of what's out there and find out what resonates and speaks to them personally. And I think that's something that we're going to need going forward. Yeah, I agree. We could probably go on for a while longer, but maybe this is a good time to wrap up. And last thing we want to say is just a really big thank you to anyone out there who has been listening or who's been supportive of us. We really appreciate the comments that have come in, whether it's just a recognition of what we're doing or a a suggestion about other topics or guests we could explore. We really recognize that it takes a moment, you know, it it takes energy and we don't take for granted that someone has made an effort to reach out to us. So thank you for listening. Thank you for your recognition. Thank you for your encouragement. Yeah, we really do appreciate the kind words, the feedback, the support, even some of the suggestions we've gotten for the podcast. And we'll often follow up on those or really take them into consideration. But it means a lot to have the support that we do. We've had a lot of fun doing this and we're looking forward to seeing what happens in 2023. (laughs) And we're coming up on the Rave New Year on January 21st, 22nd. So... Uh, a new cycle for all of us. So thank you to all of our listeners. And yeah, we really appreciate it.
Thank you for listening to the Human Design Collective podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please review us and share. You can find us at humandesigncollective.com and explore our course and workshop offerings at courses.humandesigncollective.com. Music for the Human Design Collective podcast is courtesy of Meg Ruby and Anders Parker. For more information, see the show notes. And please stay tuned for upcoming episodes on the same channel. Thank you.